It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. Thanks for listening, and this is episode 60... Oh, shoot, is this 62 or 63? 63 of the Global Geek News Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Hey, I'm doing well. Ah, that's good to hear. How's your week going so far? Uh, it's only Tuesday, but it really does feel like a Thursday. It's It's been long. Every day's been long. Uh, stressful, but uh, still in good spirits. Things are still going well. Yeah, today's felt like a Wednesday for me. School's just driving me nuts. I I cut back on classes that I had. I was taking two classes, cut one of them out because it seemed to be just a bunch of um, global warming alarmist tree-hugging propaganda. So I kind of dropped it, lightened the load, and it's a good thing because this other business management class is about to drive me nuts with all the work that it has involved with it. Oh, well. <laughs> you're you're working like 50 different things all at the same time. Uh, I can see how that can be so stressful. Yeah, it, it's it's a tough juggling act sometimes. I mean, I got I work what 45 hours a week, got school plus the site plus everything I have that goes on at home and it it does a good job of Keeping me going most of the time. Yeah, it it's it's fun. It, I'd certainly like a change of pace a little bit, but I don't know. I don't know of anything coming down the pike as far as that goes. But um, actually, there are some changes coming to Global Geek News that are is noteworthy. Three things. Uh, first of all, new comment policy, I'll officially announce that on the blog or on the site sometime in the next week or so. Essentially, after a story that we ended up dropping from last week about basically if you moderate comments at all, you can be held liable. Like if you go through, censor words, check, um, fix people's spelling mistakes, stuff like that. Uh, you can be held liable for it. Well, in the past, I've always kind of gone through, and if I've seen um, just simple like spelling mistakes, like fat finger type stuff or whatever, I'd fix that for people just so they don't look like idiots or whatever. And I've, I always tend to go through and censor some language just because I preferred the site to be a little on the PG end of things. Well, after hearing that story... I'm not going to be doing that anymore. It's just kind of a free-for-all in the comments. As long as it's not illegal or people aren't complaining about somebody posting in the comments or whatever, I'm not going to touch it. That's basically kind of the new policy. So, hopefully things won't get too out of hand in the comments. Oh, and I still am going to be deleting spam. That's the one major thing. Uh, 
second announcement, the RSS feeds that um, talked about last week having issues with my RSS feed provider, Rapid Feeds, well, apparently they decided to keep iTunes support in the free version, so we won't be having to change providers or anything, so you shouldn't have to worry about updating iTunes, Zoom, software, or whatever. Um, for those of you that may be wondering when like the Geek News Daily podcast is coming back or whatever, I would like to bring that back at some point. I just don't have the time. The RSS feed from that will likely be going away because the free account at Rapid Feeds only allows for one RSS feed at a time unless I decide to pay 5 bucks a month, and I really don't feel like it. I even um, killed off a bunch of my domains last week just because I didn't feel like paying for them anymore because I wasn't doing anything with them. But So if that show ever comes back, it will come up with a new RSS feed for those that are curious. I know there were I had a decent number of subscribers, but when I kind of abandoned the show the last time, so just something to keep in mind. And the final and biggest piece of news in regards to the site is I'm killing the Global Geek News blog. Um, it's not as bad as it sounds. I'm, I am killing the blog, but I'm essentially merging it with globalgeeknews.com. So there will no, so there won't be any slash blog anymore. I figured it's, the more I thought about it, I kind of like the idea of merging the sites to the traffic, having one place with constant new content all the time or whatever. So I'm in the process of getting things ready to merge it. Hopefully maybe this weekend or something, I will take the sites offline for a short amount of time while I merge the sites, get any um, bad links and stuff fixed, and then hopefully everything will be merged and up and running by showtime next week. So that's kind of the announcements as far as the site goes. We do have a giveaway that we are going to be doing, but I'll talk about that at the end of the show. Keep you listening for that. So, you ready to jump right into the stories? Let's go for it. Okay, well, apparently there's kind of along the same vein as my whole comments thing. Apparently there's getting to be a lot of hate speech in online video games, and I can definitely attest to this. Yeah, so hate speech is really degrading the online experience. I mean, uh, anything from racist remarks to um, remarks about sexuality, I mean... the the people think that just because you can't see the person and they might be in another location that they can just say whatever they want apparently. Yeah, this has been something that's been a big problem in gaming for basically about as long as online gaming has been around. Mm-hmm. Um, I and it seems to be now that there's voice chat, it's gotten to be a lot worse of a problem on Xbox Live, on uh, especially on the PC end of things and stuff. More so where um, you're using a gaming service like Xbox Live or you have a game that has its own like matchmaking service or whatever, like, um, for example, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, where you don't have the community running their own servers or anything as to where you end up with nobody really in the channels moderating, kicking people that are spewing hate speech and whatnot. When you have games like uh, Battlefield Bad Company 2 or whatever, you have community running their own servers and stuff, those are usually fairly well-policed and 
get the riffraff kicked out of there fairly quickly. Most servers, it, and those are usually the kind of servers that I tend to stick to. But in a lot of these areas, this has gotten to be a real big problem. And in the in the days in the past, it used to be a bit of a problem when you were dealing with um, rooms before there was uh, VoIP or any kind of in-game voice chat. It was all text stuff. I remember playing all the Command & Conquer games growing up, and they all had language filters, and most of them went... Um, it filtered most of this stuff out. Sometimes it went a little bit too far. There were some things that... Um, if a certain string of letters was in was a part of a word, the word whole word would get censored. If you mentioned anybody that was a part of the Nazi regime, you, the word would get censored. So it was right. Hitler, Himmler, whatever. And eventually, everybody just found their way around those using the whole alt number pad special characters thing. But or putting periods between letters or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was really easy to get around most of the time. But, yeah, this has certainly been a big issue in gaming, and now it's starting to get more of a... being looked at a little bit more. Because when you play a game, this kind of stuff usually isn't taken into account in the game's rating. Mm -hmm. Usually when you go into an online section of a game, it'll say, this is an online, we can't control it, so the rating doesn't necessarily apply here. So you're pretty much headed into just about anything you can think of. And now there's kind of a movement to make parents aware of this, saying, hey, your kids are being in, exposed in this environment where there's tons of racism, homophobia, um, anti-Semitic um, sentiment, stuff like that. Yeah, well, I, I totally disagree with that line of thinking or that... Um that try to protectionism, uh, protectionism, because just like the real world, uh, kids are going to be exposed to that. So anytime you open up with one person dealing with another unknown anonymous or random group of people, um, they're going to be exposed to this. So like you hear all this about the internet, you hear about this about chat roulette, you hear about this about Facebook and MySpace and all that other stuff, saying, do you know that people like connect? through these networks and meet in real life and they can end up killing them or running off or whatever. Anytime, anytime you're exposed to another person on the internet who might be random that you can see this. So I think it could be education, either um, help educate the child or the person in this environment or um, give them more information on who they're talking to. So um, I think uh, anonymity uh, helps in the case of fostering this type of environment. So if there is something um, like requiring you to tether uh, an authorized account in some way, like uh, to to your gamer tag, um, have uh, have have a rating system in which you can rate a player that follows them, just like eBay. Mm -hmm. um, that those would be more information points that will help make people make better decisions on who they choose to communicate and and hang out with online. Yeah, Xbox Live does something like that, and I think 
some um, game gaming companies do that to some extent. Uh, Xbox Live is probably the biggest one where you can raid other players, you can report them if they're using a whole bunch of foul language or if they're just screaming or whatever, which if it's just about the screaming, I'm surprised all the 10-year-olds don't get kicked off of Xbox Live. But um, I definitely agree as far as the whole censorship thing goes. It, you shouldn't keep your shelter your kids and keep them away from this kind of stuff. Just let them be and in, just inform them, hey, this is the kind of stuff that goes on here. This is what it means. This is why it's bad. That kind of a thing. I, I've never been a big fan of the whole censorship. I mean, I, I grew up in this whole internet thing. None of my family had any clue about anything in regards to the internet and up until a couple of years ago, they they didn't use it or anything. It was pretty much just all me all the time. And even now, they still don't have a real good grasp on it for a lot of a thing for a lot of things. But I, it was just something that, for me, I grew up with. I handled it all myself. I I ran into I've ran into these things for many years. You just kind of have to take it in stride. You realize that. A lot of this stuff is not to take it seriously because it's the whole anonymity thing and people think they can get away with pretty much anything. And you just have to learn, kind of know what the difference is between right and wrong and just don't lower yourself to the level of the people doing this kind of activity. Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe with the advent of gaming and uh, maybe adding video uh, to the gaming component, there's a possibility that this will go away also. Yeah, I would like. I'd be certainly interested in seeing a video component to online gaming, to where I could see the other person on the other end of the internet, and as they're playing, kind of like in the same way that VoIP works, but just with video. That would certainly be interesting and I think take uh, it would help this problem a little bit but that, that would certainly be a fun way to look at it but I'm I don't know I'm not sure if our if most networks could handle that if that would end up causing a lot of lag and stuff I know my router tends to get bogged down if I if I'm using all kinds of traffic or if I have a bunch of different connections going or whatever but Speaking of um, adult activity and gaming, mm-hmm. apparently StarCraft Two has been giving and what is equivalent to the adults only rating in Korea. Yes, it's eighteen plus, which is the highest rating possible for a game. Um, it seems that the, at least that's the preliminary, preliminary score. Um, Blizzard Korea still has the ability to. To appeal this and hopefully get another rating, or maybe they they might modify the game to make it fit for a lower, lower audience. But um, the first StarCraft had over 50% of its sales in South Korea, so uh, this is a pretty big deal there. Yeah, and in South Korea, StarCraft is huge. I think they've got like TV shows dedicated to it. It's still like it's still all these years later the biggest game there. I think it was last week or whatever I was reading 
how there's some great big cheating scandal in StarCraft over in Korea right now that's causing some great big giant mess. And and this essentially says kids can't play StarCraft 2, so and I think that's going to end up causing a lot more issues over there than it's probably going to help. Yeah, they have pretty big professional gaming leagues in South Korea, and so gaming is huge there. Uh, I would say it's probably on the level of BMX for us and X Games. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's not you know it's not NBA or or or, or baseball, uh, but it is pretty high up there. And uh, also with gaming taking so much attention, I, I under they they also uh, released some restrictions on how late or like a gaming perf- curfew for some games, some online games. Uh, so games are really, really uh, getting front and center and attacked by their governmental agencies, and uh, I think it's it's gonna end up in some sort of either underground gaming or some sort of uh, uh, community revolt about how how stringent they are about games and how they're rated and who can obtain them. The thing is, I don't know what the eighteen plus rating actually means effectively because i know here in the u.s if you want a game you can just get a game you can order online without any age verification but i don't know how strict it is in in korea but i'm guessing it's pretty strict yeah even around here i found that it's gotten to be a lot more strict i mean if you're online there's no real way of verifying age other than presumably if you have a credit card you're at least 18 years old or whatever but even then you could probably still use a paypal account and get around it but Around here, if I was to go to GameStop or Walmart or anything, if if there's any mature rated game, you have to show ID with it. I mean, it's gotten to the point where at the local game store they all know I'm well over 18 and whatever, so I don't have to worry about it anymore. But they're getting, they've gotten to the point where they're really picky about saying that if you're not 18 or whatever, you can't buy a mature rated game, which when I was eight, around the age of 18 or a little bit younger, I found that to be extremely annoying. I didn't get too much hassle at GameStop at the time. Um, it was more Walmart more than anything, but that was essentially my main reason for no longer buying any kind of um, entertainment at stores like Walmart, because it's just gotten to be a pain. Yeah, well, and that's just because of the the vendor. Think about if the United States government would had their hands in it. Think how hard it would be then. Yeah, yeah, that that's one thing I never want to see. But Microsoft uh, at least allows a lot of kids to have hands-on experience with their games. Yeah, I was kind of to an extent. I was kind of surprised by this story. Um, not so much about how much these kids are earning, but apparently the fact that they're essentially running sweatshops in China to, for creating things like the remote controls for the Xbox 360. Apparently, there's a factory in Dugan, southern in southern China, called KYE Systems, that apparently has workshops where they're building like these. Con- controllers and stuff that have workers who sleep 14 to a room, shower 
with sponge baths with a small plastic bucket of water have a thousand workers in a hundred and five foot by a hundred and five foot workshop um and especially in the summer temperatures in the workshop can exceed 86 degrees as to where i guess there's no air conditioning unless executives are around then they turn on the air conditioning um that's where they end up pretty much coming back dripping in sweat and supposedly it's so bad that anybody that works there most of them quit after six eight months some will last a year but none of them really last more than two years at the absolute most and all of this why they're getting paid 37 cents an hour pence 37 pence which pence uh, yeah this is a story coming from the telegraph in the uk yeah so that's probably close to 75 cents uh, us dollar um Apparently, Microsoft is sending their own independent uh, inspection agency down there to make sure if things are on the up and up or if they are not following their their regulations. Um, but Microsoft ex- inspects the factory every quarter and so far has not found any any fault. Uh, one thing is they said that the, there's no AC and it's about 86 degrees uh, when uh, when people work there. And here in Texas, that's not so bad, but I guess in China, that's bad there. Um, but they do turn on the AC only and only only when uh, customers come to visit, and that's the only time. Um, but the, the, the title of this article is kind of uh, kind of infuriating how they just, got, just uh, call it slave labor. But when the interview itself, it says that people says that people don't last they're longer than, than six to eight months, and people leave. So if it's slave labor, then how could they really leave in six to eight months? And so um, I think this is a little, little uh, it's a little, being, it's being trumped up a little bit more than it actually is. Yeah, I think this is probably written by somebody who's a little on the bias side, which uh, appears to be written by Peter Foster out of, for the Telegraph out of Beijing, but yeah, that should more be, I mean, sweatshops and stuff, sure, that'd be fine. Slave labor, I would say no. But apparently the wages and stuff are supposedly in line with the Electronic Industry Citizenship Coalition and their standards for that particular area of China. So apparently um, what they're making per hour isn't all that bad, at least not for that particular area. I mean... You couldn't pay somebody here in the U.S. that like that, but for in that that area, it might be a decent amount of money or whatever, and to hold them to our standards and pay them what's minimum wage now six something an hour, that would like probably make them millionaires in that area. Yeah, and it's sixteen and seventeen year olds. I mean, I was I've been working since you know, I was fifteen. And I can tell you, I put in some time. Sometimes I put in those hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can say that I didn't put those in, in those hours every day, seven days a week. Um, but I, it's a job. I don't know how many options there are in this location. Uh, it may, and since the size of the the facility is pretty small, uh, and there's that many workers, Microsoft should have known. Uh, 
the size of this location and how much volume they're pushing out and be able to estimate how many hours each each person will be doing. So even if Microsoft didn't know that they're underage employees, they had to know how uh, how many hours each worker was working. I mean, that's easy to see um, depending on their output um, regardless. And apparently that did not... Uh, go against their criteria of what is uh, acceptable for a factory in China. So um, if they shopped around and that was, if they did it by uh, quality, if they did it by efficiency, if they did it by uh, output, that this seemed to be a good fit for Microsoft. Maybe they can go to another, um, another facility, but once again, this is, seems to be the testimony of only one person against uh uh, inspectors that go there every quarter. So we'll have to see what Microsoft does uh, after their inspectors go through this. Yeah, assuming all this is true, if you if they had run the numbers, there should have been some red flags thrown up. But at this point, I'm going to say that this is probably more a case of what the company is doing and maybe Microsoft doesn't know much, if anything, about it. I think that's probably why they're sending their own independent investigators down there. And hopefully they'll either fix whatever's wrong, assuming there is anything wrong, or maybe discontinue the relationship with this manufacturer or whatever. But hopefully things aren't as bad as they look. But speaking of things that we'll look up at some point, apparently SSD prices are aren't going down until at least 2011. Yeah, prices are looking up. <laughs> uh, with the with the the lack of manufacturing, um, the demand is equal to supply as opposed to a couple years ago when they're initially released, there was more competition and so there's more supply than demand and that drove the prices down. Now we're like at an equilibrium where things are are, are are trying to find out where the sweet spot is, and uh, right now, uh, with the the recession and the cutbacks and and shipments, uh, looks like prices are staying steady or even edging slightly up. Yeah, it's going to be wild till things change because right now with the economy the way it is, they can't look really in at investing in new facilities or changing production or anything like that. So. They're, right now they're aiming for people that are willing to purchase these lower capacity boot drives. So you essentially maybe have like a 60 gig drive or something like that that's basically meant for running your operating system and that's it. And then all your other um, apps that you don't maybe use all that often or whatever loaded onto another drive that's maybe like a one terabyte drive or something like that. And that's kind of what they're aiming for people to do right now until they can... Um, get more invested in new facilities and production methods and stuff like that. But in the meantime, I know I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, well, just wait till later on this year, prices are going to come down. Well, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. And they're still going to stay at around 10 times more expensive than hard drives. Yeah, and didn't... I remember when Windows 7 was under development, there was a lot of talk about hybrid drives, drives that have flash in them for this, this exact type of scenario where uh, part of it is for booting, to make it really fast, and then it actually has a spinning platter in front of it, in, inside of it. 
I wonder whatever happened to those. I think they just got to the point where they were too expensive compared to the fact that people were essentially already doing it themselves with their own SSDs and large drives, and it was just more cost-effective for people to do it that way, so it never really took off. That's sad. Well, um, Solid State's probably going to take off with more small devices like the iPad uh, and all these tablet computing devices. Um, And with battery life being tandem out, especially with those larger screens, uh, Solid State's going to be the only way to go. Yeah, I'm... I've been wanting to do solid state in my laptops and my netbooks for a while now, but it's just not uh, feasible from a money standpoint. I mean, my laptop is basically kind of on its last legs as it is. The left mouse button doesn't work. The one of the hinges on the for the monitors busted. Or well, it's the hinge cover actually, but it, it's basically pretty much worn out and I really don't want to dump in a $300 solid state drive but I mean I love my solid state drive on my desktop it's absolutely amazing and when I get a chance I want to move everything to solid state other than basically anything where I'm doing large amount large amounts of storage either on my computer or on my media server or whatever but one of the things, one of the reasons I really want to move to SSD on my laptops and stuff is, from my understanding, it uses like a tenth of the power of um, regular hard drives. Mm-hmm. So you're getting a considerable gain in battery life on mobile devices. Yeah, exactly. So that's why it, it's it's an ideal solution for like a tablet or a slate or. Uh, another pen computing device or a touch touch friendly device, and uh, so so I have. It's not something that's going to go away. It's not something that's going. It's not going to be the 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 Betamax, not the blip in the technology uh, radar. It's just I think we're at the point where it was just a little too soon, and the market wasn't ready for it. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to when prices come down and availability is a little bit better. And I, I absolutely love them, and I think they're they're going to be a whole lot better. The only thing that I really don't like about them is that I can't use Spinrite on them if something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. That's something that scares me, especially considering how many times Spinrite has saved my butt. I mean, for, not to mention the fact that I paid ninety bucks, eighty or ninety bucks for that anyway. But that that's one of the that's the only real drawback that I have about it is the fact that I can't use Spinrite on it. But speaking of mobile devices, apparently books on the Kindle are about to get a little bit more expensive, or at least if the publisher decides to set its own price. Yeah, I think this is the separation between publisher, distribution channel, and and um, this with Microsoft, oh, sorry, not Microsoft, with Amazon when they acted like a broker a lot of the stuff was handled through Amazon, but like their affiliate program uh, with tax implications, um, if they if they're separated using their third-party pricing scheme, which is uh, publishers choose to set their own price, then they have to work like uh, 
like the Kindle is a third-party delivery device, and uh, they have to pay sales taxes wherever they do business. Yeah, I think this is kind of this whole um, back and forth between Amazon and the publishers. Publishers is kind of fun to watch, even if I'm the one getting screwed as a Kindle owner because I'm having to pay higher prices from whatever the publishers thinks that it wants to sell it for sales tax because of it, which is the, apparently the new case mm-hmm. and whatever. It's just kind of interesting to watch how these things are, how this back and forth is playing out. And I'm not sure quite what I think of this new move. I'm not sure if it's actually going to have that much of an effect that it's going to um, persuade publishers not to name their own price. Yeah, with the funny thing with the Kindle with its built-in Wi-Fi, I mean most most. I mean, I don't. I know there is some side loading that's possible, but since most of the books are going to be downloaded using its built-in Wi-Fi, you would think that Amazon would say that okay, we'll do sales taxes based on where you are when you purchase the book, mm-hmm. because uh, you can pinpoint a location. Sorry, did I say Wi-Fi? I meant uh, wireless access through the. Yeah, the, the WhisperNet 3G yeah. service, AT- yeah. AT&T or Sprint or whatever, uh, depending on what kind of Kindle you have. Um, you can you can pretty much pinpoint what state someone's in. At least you can have that kind of granularity. And you can have uh, you can have sales tax being taken out that way. Yeah, I think that probably goes along the lines of the whole physical presence thing, like Amazon is having to deal with... Uh, sales tax for associates in states like Colorado and stuff where they ended up pulling out altogether. I, th- I think if they had to do that, they wouldn't even mess with it. But this is, I think this is just clearly a way of trying to irritate the publishers more than anything, just because they have the power to get away with it. Yes, yes. But for uni- uniformity, you would think that they would want to... Uh, when, especially since e- e-readers are still kind of burgeoning, they're, they're just now starting out, they, will, they, they should just make it as easy as possible for the customers. I mean, I understand that they're fighting with publishers, but keep their customers in, in mind when they do this and just try to make it as easy as possible. Yeah, at some point, you got to figure out who are you inconveniencing more, the publishers or the customer? Mm-hmm. And... I don't know, I think that's a little bit of a balancing act they need to figure out a little bit better. I mean, especially this whole thing with Colorado where they pulled out Mm -hmm. for the whole Amazon Associates thing because Colorado is going to start taxing uh, the associate or the affiliate sales. Well, that hurts me and a lot of other people because that's taking away a form of income. It's like, well, if I had to choose between no income or a slightly smaller percent of income, I'd choose the slightly smaller percent rather than nothing at all. And I understand what Amazon's trying to do, and I support them to an extent, but taking it away completely is going a little bit far, especially when the government still refuses to budge. Yeah, Amazon thinks they're Apple, and I don't know if that's going to work out for them. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of ebooks, apparently our favorite 
Dutch anti-piracy group The Breen has decided that they're going to start patrolling for ebook piracy. Yes, we talked about this last week, and my prediction was that, uh, well, I shouldn't say prediction, it's kind of obvious statement saying that piracy in ebooks is going to going to be on the rise since there's going to be more attention on it. And apparently the Breen agree, and they said they want to start cracking down on it. Yeah, was, uh, last week on our story, the, the numbers for even the top-selling books that, for the pirated ebook versions of them were only a couple hundred in like a week or whatever, so mm-hmm. ebook piracy is practically nothing. I've got a feeling that this is kind of an attempt by them to try and nip the whole ebook piracy thing in the bud before it grows into some out of control problem like has happened with music and movies. Oh yeah, that's out of control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll get to that later, but anyway, I, I don't. I, I think this is going to be. One, is this even in their jurisdiction? Because I, I don't know how the MPAA and the RA, uh, how they work, but the MPAA and the RIAA is basically an association that's made to protect protect the interests of their members. And so does the Breen have some sort of uh, membership uh, that that's in the ebook uh, market? I mean, who who do they protect specifically? I think they're just kind of a general anti-piracy group from my understanding, so that way they can protect music, movies, books, whatever. That as And then just like the movie studios come to them and say, hey, could you um, pursue pirates of our um, copy-protected entertainment or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I think that's how they work. Yeah. Um... No, they shouldn't do this. N- not 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 because it's not right. I mean, piracy is wrong or whatever, but um they are acting on a body on behalf of a body that hasn't asked for it. So I can understand if 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 they the authors or the publishers are saying, "Please, please do this, do this." They might be doing it. They, they might hear that. But so far, I don't hear anybody yelling for any kind of uh uh policing of the of the internet for books. So, so I think it's a little preemptive. And I think that's one of the things like, um, where people might want to release re- music on the internet for free and leak it intentionally. They might want to do that with books and to get more, to get, to, to get more exposures that they, they wouldn't get otherwise. And I think taking this approach removes that as a marketing platform. Yeah. Um, when the Kindle originally launched, there was a lot of concern among publishers saying, oh, people are going to want these books, and they'll figure out how to strip the DRM off of them, they'll stick them up on torrent sites or whatever, or it'll get people to take whatever ebooks they can find, stick them on PDF, share them with their friends, put them on e-readers and stuff, as to where originally it was a very big concern among publishers, not quite to the extent that the whole... Um, audio book thing was for the um, reading back for, or for the ability to, oh shoot for the Kindle to read back to you but it was it was always a big concern and but they never but those numbers that they feared never really materialized and 
I think now maybe we're getting more devices. It's going to start to materialize a little bit more, but I'm not sure it's a big of a a big enough of worry to have somebody like the Breen suing people for swapping e ebooks. Yeah, uh, it's funny. I mean, it's it's seems like they're very tech forward on this front, which is kind of interesting. Um, but this is going to be, this is basically, I feel more of a laboratory where they're trying to figure out what's popular, or where the people are gathered or how books are transferred, how they're, how they're encoded, um, what the quality is. Uh, th this is just a brand new frontier in piracy actually. And, and, uh, I, I wonder what they find out. They're, they're going to learn a lot. Um, but. I, I just think if if for some reason they feel that that's an area where they want to spend money, I'd say go for it. But there is there ebooks are probably the closest to copyright, um, the original copyright laws that we have anyway. So um, if they do catch some people, I wonder how those are going to be prosecuted. Yeah, I've done the whole ebook piracy thing on several occasions, and. It's certainly not as nice of an experience as you get when you pirate like a movie or something like that. There's not all the advantages you get of doing that, where you cut out all the commercials that if you that you'd get if you bought the DVD and whatever. And a lot of times for eBooks, I notice that um, some of the formatting tends to be really strange. If it's a PDF, usually it's not too bad. Um, transferring it onto a device like the Kindle, it really tends to screw up the formatting. Mm -hmm. And usually, it, it, unless you're reading it on the PC, it, it actually turns into a pretty bad experience in most cases. And in some cases, it's not too bad, but there's still a lot of things where it needs to be really designed for an ebook reader before it really becomes usable. Or and and even then, there's still some things that you do not want on an ebook reader. For example, um, programming books. I've got several on my Kindle, absolutely unusable, because you get these tiny little scrunched examples of code or tiny pictures. You can't zoom in on them. You can't tell exactly what they say or whatever, and it tends to just be a problem. And that and you'll see that even more. When you have pirated ebooks where they're not specifically made for the for the device, so I don't see it being a real big problem. I don't know. I'm kind of curious to see how the iPad has an effect on it. But speaking of copyright, apparently the RIAA and the MPAA have gotten together to decide that we need a copyright police state. Yes, basically the United States government um, opened up for suggestions about how to combat, combat piracy and uh, just like a comment box in a fast food restaurant people just start stuffing when I say people I should say the MPAA and the RAA start stuffing every little thought that they ever had about what they can do uh, to combat piracy it's kind of like in the movie Armageddon when they're like, bring out all the suggestions you have to fight meteors, anything you've ever scribbled on a sheet of paper, it sounded like that's exactly what they did, and they just stuffed the ballot box of 
every idea that they thought of that could uh, combat piracy. Uh, and so some of it's extremely outlandish, but seems like they said, you know, what the heck? Let's go ahead and put it in anyway. Yeah, and all this, and all these proposals that they made to the piracies are in the U.S. There's everything from the three strikes law to including software on PCs, whether it's a piece of malware or built into the antivirus or whatever that will scan and delete copyright infringing materials on a network. Um, making internet providers filter out um, copyrighted content based on, like, fingerprints of the content, which I presume if you're doing something like that, like a simple SSL connection or something like that could get around that. But they're wanting to all these different kinds of things to get people to... or to get... A, somebody to filter this stuff out or keep people from having copyrighted content. They're even going so far as to saying that search engines, hosting companies, payment processors, advertising agencies, social networking sites, and domain registers would be encouraged to team up with copyrighted holders to prevent online piracy. So essentially they want Google to patrol their search results for piracy. Yeah, and pre-filter. Mm-hmm. So um, screen out anything they think uh, might be uh, pirated or copyright material and not even display that to the user exhibiting the search. So this is not even – this is just a mention of, 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 of piracy. So uh, this is going extremely far. That's why I mean that's the, they obviously didn't think they'd get all this, but I don't think they're restrained in any – any fashion to not at least give it a try. Yeah, I think this is kind of like the shotgun approach. Shoot and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're even wanting basically what's happened to Mininova in that since you can't really filter out everything, pretty much turn it into like a whitelist where you have to get your content approved to be on the BitTorrent tracker before it can be shared, so that way they can make sure it's not copyrighted or anything like that. They're they're going really far with this, and hopefully there's enough people that complain that this that none of this will actually happen. Yeah, well, the biggest thing that MPAA and the RAA could do to combat piracy is to have some sort of genuine advantage or kind of like a Microsoft dealio um, or, or even better have some sort of button like the Betty better business bureau or their own search engine I would like to go in type in uh, X-Men and a search engine that's run by the MPAA and the RIA and it can tell me where I can get the the content legally if they ran something like that then people will know oh well I know it's genuine because I got it from the search engine and it told me with the exact link and it and gave me the price of each site that had it and I was able to buy it and knowing that I, I got it legally. They need to empower more legal resources on how to get it the right way instead of trying to fight it the wrong way. It's it's uh it's all stick and no carrot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they don't know how to go about anything the right way. It's all about 
treating your customers like criminals and it it's just a horrible way of doing business how the, how they seem to stay alive i don't have a clue i'm surprised that there's not more people suing them for racketeering and all kinds of other charges mm-hmm. but speaking of lawsuits against uh, companies. Apparently, the whole peer-to-peer blocking that Comcast was doing, well, I guess the um, uh, class action suit for that has been settled, and Comcast owes users $16 a piece. Yeah. The question is, should you take it? Yeah, for a year and a half of degraded service, uh, basically Comcast is saying, yeah, we didn't give you what we offered you, let me give you what the equivalent of a week's worth of credit to your account, if if, if that much. Oh, no, it's not even that much. It's and on a month, you pay fifty bucks. It's fifty bucks per month, and you're essentially paying, and they're giving you back fifty cents per month. Yeah. So uh, the the. The person who is spearheading a suit saying to reject the offer of sixteen dollars uh, for the settlement, so that it opens the door for additional legal legal action against Comcast on the same front. It's kind of like it's kind of like double jeopardy. If you accept the sixteen dollars, and there's another lawsuit that goes out, um, you you cannot participate in that other lawsuit because you're excluding yourself by accepting the, the settlement. Yeah, the guy that, this uh, Rob Topolsky, that, who was the one who discovered that all these practices where Comcast was blocking BitTorrent, eDonkey, FastTrack, Nutella, and by accident programs such as Lotus Notes from March 26, 2007 to October third 2007 um, basically saying that this isn't enough this doesn't teach Comcast a lesson we need more of these lawsuits hopefully we'll get something at a decent amount that does teach them a lesson and then everybody should jump on with that and if you're interested in doing something like that especially now with the whole FCC Comcast net neutrality thing which essentially allows Comcast to go back and start doing this stuff again if they wanted to. I don't think they will. And I actually saw another um, story about a similar ISP, I think it's called like RNC or something like that, that is getting in trouble for this as well. But should they decide to do that again and you want to sue, you need to opt out of this particular settlement and you have until... May 13th to do so, and I plan on opting out of the settlement myself. Mm-hmm. And the settlement was reached uh, under the assumption that the FCC would still oversee Comcast to make sure something like this wouldn't happen again. Uh, but with that court case and uh, and Comcast winning over the FCC, uh, that's no longer the case. Um, I would actually I would have loved to see this case go all the way to court. Um, but that would have taken years, and um, it's it's hard to say where it would have led, but it could have gone all the way up to the Supreme Court if if the FCC wanted to fight it. Um, but th- this is something that I, I think, for our rights, especially them being a monopoly, maybe not a monopoly worldwide, 
or or countrywide, but in the region where the the people live, that their only cable option is Comcast, uh, and in some locations, probably their only internet provider is Comcast. Any broadband provider is Comcast. This is something that, that this is totally abuse of power, and I I think they really should pay. Yeah, I'm I'm in one of those areas, but speaking of entertainment services and what you can get on the internet. Apparently, 800,000 U.S. households have abandoned their TVs for the Internet. Yeah, this is a little bit of the shakeout from the DTV transition, and, and also with growing services like Hulu and Netflix and iTunes and even YouTube. Um, I was watching a full episode of Star Trek the other night on YouTube. Uh, th- there are tons of choices for entertainment, and it's not relegated to broadcast television. So um, this is uh, a cumulative number over the past two years uh, with uh, 600,000 people um, not coming over from the transition in 2009. Yeah, I. if it was up to me, we'd get rid of our cable today. I mean, the only reason we keep it around is because my mother watches cable. But if it was up to me, I torrent anything I really want to watch, or I get it from Netflix, one of the two. So I, I would gladly become one of these households that's abandoned their TVs for the Internet. But apparently they're expecting that by the end of the next year, this number will grow to 1.6 million. Yeah, and with, with, um, with DVRs, um, I can see how there might be a scale back in cable television also, like you were saying cable. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, with new entertainment devices like the Flow TV and even the iPad, I mean, this is something that's only going to get worse. I mean, for the broadcast television anyway. Um, this, this is a good sign. This means that advertising has to become uh, more quality. Um, the shows have to have better quality in order to garner the interest of people who just don't have to watch it because I think it was a given saying well, people are going to watch TV at this time slot. Now it's not so much of a given. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see if this is kind of like the beginning of the end for the major uh, television providers like a Comcast or a DirecTV or anything now that people are more starting to move towards the web, but I've got a feeling this is going to end up leading to more ads on content on the web. I mean, right now, like if you watch a, something on Hulu, most of the time you're going to get a 15-second ad, maybe a 30-second ad here and there where commercials would normally be, but I think that over time, as more people move to it, to just viewing stuff online, that's going to grow and it's going to become almost as big of a problem as ads are on TV. And that and that's what I'm really afraid of. Yeah, but the but once you start going into the ad space, um, we could have bigger juggernauts, or it could create juggernauts like uh, Lila Laporte's Tech TV. I mean, they just got Tom Merritt. I found out um, through Twit this past weekend. So he can he comes from CBS Interactive. Um, there was a little rumor that not a rumor, but. They tried to start a rumor, I guess, that Revision 3 was getting Conan O'Brien. I mean, I believe that if it came to the point where advertising 
on these quote-unquote big networks online became a problem, that uh, smaller players can pick up that vacuum of more niche, specialized audience audiences to, to lure, lure in the advertisers to uh, that demographic, and it'd be more targeted, and I believe it could actually be a boon for everyone, uh, including the viewers. Yeah, that's one of the good things about the internet, is that if there's somebody doing it wrong, somebody else can just pick up where they are and do it right. Mm-hmm. And that that's one of the great things about the internet. If ads start becoming a problem and becoming as prevalent as they are on other mediums such as television or radio, somebody can come along and change that. Me personally, I'll just stick with torrents because then I have to deal with no ads, period. But anyway, um, speaking of content consumption, apparently universities are banning iPads, but not quite for the reason you'd think. Um, yeah, it's because of how it connects to their wireless networks. Um, for instance, Princeton University um, has blocked 20% of the iPads on campus because of malfunctions that can affect the entire school's computer system. Yeah, apparently it has something to do with the school's DHCP settings, because there's some schools that are reporting the issue, some that aren't. So apparently the iPad handles DHCP in a strange way or something like that as to where it screws with some settings and it doesn't have some authentication abilities that some schools need so people can't even get on to certain schools' websites with or certain schools' networks with the iPad because it doesn't support the kind of necessary authentication but in the end, I think once the 3G iPad comes out, it'll kind of alleviate these problems. Yeah, I think this is pointing out the vulnerabilities in uh, school and universities' networks. Because if something like 20 devices can cause a whole network to crash, they have a severe problem. Uh, this could be a boon for a Cisco or uh, another switching company to be able to adapt and to filter out quote-unquote attacks or perceived attacks that could bring down their network. This this is a problem for, that probably Apple will fix because Apple Apple's major penetration is through uh, educational uh, and, and universities and educational systems. And I, I know they want this to be the next digital e-reader for textbooks, so um, they're going to do whatever they can to placate this problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of talks between these universities and Apple trying to figure out the problems regarding these DHCP issues, and hopefully they'll be fixed in the next next patch, or maybe they'll be fixed in the next batch of iPads that come out or something like that, depending on if it's a hardware or software issue or what it is. Yeah, hopefully they have this fixed in the, the 4.0 OS. Um, that's supposed to be coming out later on this year. Um, now, I mean, we're about to start summer, and probably um, that should also give universities the lead time and the downtime to beef up their networks before school starts again in the fall, which would be a huge problem if a lot of kids going to college for the first time are bringing in iPads instead of laptops. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how many 
students are going to be spending that kind of money on an iPad. And I, I re, part of me really wants an iPad, and part of me really wants to wait for the second generation of it. I think it'll be a lot better than the current generation iPad. But it's like, ooh, do I want an iPad now? Do I want to wait a year for it? I don't know. I'm, I'm getting to the point where I. It's like the more I think about it, the more I want one now. But I think I'd rather go for the three the three G version myself. I, I might go for the Google Pad, depending on um, the specs of that when they when they finally announce it. I mean, if it's supposed to be, if it's going to be cheaper, which knowing Google, they'll try to force the price down. Um, that might be an attractive solution, especially if they have Flash support. Yeah, I think I'll wait and and see kind of what they have. What the what what it is that they're working on, but at the same time, if I wanted an Android tablet, Arcos has an Android tablet that I hear is pretty nice. I have uh, I looked at it a couple weeks back, and it's still kind of pricey, like three hundred dollars for that. When sh- we're talking about five hundred dollars for an iPad, and then when you put Google on top of that, then them pushing the price down. Um, I think maybe. Spend an extra fifty bucks and get three, and spend three fifty for the the Google tablet, which I think that's where the price is going to hover. Yeah, well, I know I saw. I didn't get a chance to read the story, but I saw some headlines earlier today about. I think it's Eric Schmidt saying that they want the any Chrome OS computers to be around the four hundred dollar price point. So. I'm kind of curious to see how that works out. I still think that the Chrome OS is going to be a total flop myself. Maybe not to the extent that Google Wave was, but it'll be certainly up there. Yeah. Um, uh, seeing as we are basically should be wrapping up the show now, we still got one more story to go. We'll skip right on to that last story. Apparently, e- an eBay seller faces 50,000 a 50,000-pound fine for bidding on his own sales just for trying the sake of raising prices. Well, to me, I didn't even know that that was even a crime. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't know it was a crime, this story coming out of the UK, so I'm sure the UK is maybe a little bit different, because apparently this falls under some consumer protection uh, laws and some unfair trading regulations that started back in 2008 and I guess this is the first guy to be prosecuted for it but I'd, I'd be lying if I said that I hadn't thought about doing the same thing myself a time or two yeah I guess the it's it's kind of a win-win situation well I shouldn't say a win-win but one of those low risk situations if you bid on your own item and you win it you're not out any money because you pay yourself um, but in the case where someone outbids you um, they pay, so uh, I can see how it's unfair. But I didn't realize it was illegal, just like this guy didn't. Um, and uh, so apparently, the law is fairly new. It's uh, unfair trading regulations of 20, 2008. Uh, so um, it's amazing that it was, you know, fifty thousand pounds that that the guy got fined. Uh, fined. Uh, that, that, that's definitely. That's the fine that he's looking at. I guess there's um, ten different offenses, each carrying a five thousand pound fine, and they're just kind of waiting on sentencing now. Yeah, 
Well, it's he can face up to up to that amount. Um, but wow, uh, that is pretty strict, and that is very good deterrent. But that's why I think he will get the maximum because uh, this is a way to get the word out and make an example of someone. Yeah, all this for things like a pie and pastry warmer priced at 127 pounds. Um, yeah, apparently he was going under multiple names. He was listing an auction under one name, then he'd go back under another name, start bidding on it, and to try and raise the price, which I don't even know why you do. Ever since eBay introduced the whole set-your-own-reserve price so that if it doesn't meet it or whatever you don't have to sell it so since you can do that i don't even know why you drive the price up yourself just set a reserve for what you think it needs to go for and if it doesn't hit that then don't sell it yeah no reserve auctions are an advertising scheme for ebay anyway you put a lot of uh, auctions put the nr and set an auction at one penny to garner a lot of support because one thing is when you do bid um, the more bidders you get, they get notices when they get outbid. So you have more people who have awareness of the auction, which I think is part of the 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 gamesmanship and the one-upsmanship is is to uh, get enough people so that you can get enough attention, so you can get that bidding war, and that's what's what they're going for is a bidding war. And so I think that's probably part of it. Yeah, there, there's a lot of different um, aspects of eBay that are essentially broken and need and badly need fixed. I think this is kind of one of them, but hopefully eBay will find, figure out a way to fix them. Otherwise we may end up stuck with sites like, Oh, Oh now, now I can't think of, there's an auction site that is like, Gambling while doing an auction. Swoopo, there we go. Uh, don't know if you've ever... Have you ever checked out Swoopo? No, never heard of it. Uh, essentially, is it's an auction site, but it's almost like gambling at the same time where you're paying to bid, and you're bidding in like 10 or 15 cent increments, and when you bid, it knocks up the timer for the amount left on the auction So for... 10 seconds, a minute, whatever, so that somebody else who's sitting on at their computer on the other end of the world can hit bid before the time expires. And most of the time you can get things really cheap compared to what you can buy them in the stores, but by the time you spend all the money paying for bids, because you have to buy your, vid, your bid, the number of bids in advance, mm-hmm. so which I don't remember, I think it's like a dollar a bid or something like that, by the time you pay for the item, pay for all your bids and everything, you may not end up with a bargain after all. But that's basically almost kind of like the next generation of auction sites that I've seen. And they're and really, it's almost like a scam, kind of, just because it's more gambling than it is a real auction. Yeah, you bid is kind of a bet scheme. Uh, in which that the at least the portion in which the timer uh, gets added whenever you get a bid, I believe. Yes, yeah, I believe Swoopo was the original one that came up with this whole formula of how to do this, and there's been a couple other sites that have since ripped them off. 
but that that's kind of the way things another branch of online auctions that seems to be growing a fair bit but that's our stories we are running quite late but we still have a little bit to go so sit back don't go anywhere quite yet because we yeah, still I want, have our... I want to hear about this giveaway yeah this is going to be one of our better giveaways I think considering there wasn't all that much participation in the last Windows 7 giveaway. Anyway, our tip of the week is for making your BitTorrent transfers anonymous using a proxy called BTGuard. Apparently this is a proxy run out of Canada, I believe, that for... Or, yeah, I think it's out of Canada. For 550 euro a month, you can get a, um, it's basically a VPN proxy service so you can mask all of your BitTorrent downloads so you can't be tracked back and sued by the RIAA, MPAA, Breen, or whatever file sharing agency you happen to have in your anti-piracy agency you happen to have in your country. I haven't tried this yeah, myself, I hear it works really good. It's where it doesn't really slow down your connections. People are still maxing out their connections and stuff like that. So it's definitely something worth checking into if you're worried about getting sued for your piracy and stuff. It's, it's something that I'm definitely looking into, which reminds me there was a bit of news that kind of came out last week that was um, a bit misleading. There was supposedly a group of like 86 lines of C-sharp code or whatever that supposedly anonymized your BitTorrent connection. Not true. It actually, the only thing that it can really do is create a bunch of fake peers on a, or fake seeds on a network. So it makes it look like a torrent is more popular than it is, which it makes it a headache for groups like the RIAA and stuff when they're trying to find people to sue but at the same time, it gives people a false sense of popularity for files that they're looking for, so they think something may be well-seeded when it's actually just a couple of seeds, because all the others are just a bunch of fake seeds, and it ends up with a bad experience all around. So you might want to um, not pay any attention to this little program or whatever. Um, the program's name... It's called Seed Effer. I cleaned that up for the show, but I'm sure you can you understand what the name of it is. But if you happen to see anything about that, it it's not what it's advertised to be. It's actually worse than any than not having anything at all. But anyway, speaking of our giveaway, last week I received a handful of copies or well, essentially, they're download keys for Command & Conquer 4. So if anybody is interested in getting a copy of Command & Conquer 4 for the PC, I don't I don't think it's on any of the other platforms. It, maybe? No, I don't think it is. But anyway, uh, the codes are for downloading it through the EA Store. Yeah, I know, I'd prefer Steam myself. But if anybody is interested, I, I think I've got like four or five of the codes... But to get it, you're going to have to do a little bit of work. Basically what I want is I want you to blog about the show. I don't care if it's a blog saying, hey, go check out the show, or if you want to do a full-on review of the show, that would even be better. 
basically do some kind of a post about the show on your website, stick the link in the comments with a way to contact you. I don't care if it's via Twitter, uh, email address, whatever. And in the end of, what is it, two weeks, I believe I chose the date of May 3rd. At the end of that time, I will take whoever has entered into the con into the giveaway, pick um, some winners at random based on how many ever copies of it I have, four or five or whatever it is, and I will give those away to those people. So, if you're interested in the game, do a write up about the show of some kind. Simple tweets will not work. We want a full-on blog post of some kind. Anyway, that would be the contest. Hopefully you guys like it. That's just kind of what I have to give away right now. Hopefully I'll come up with some better prizes or whatever in the future. But if you're interested, give it a shot. I, I know I've tried the game for a little bit. Ended up with a fair bit of frustration due to the whole always online DRM type scheme that is causing me a little bit of a headache, but otherwise it doesn't seem to be quite as bad of a game as I speculated that it would be. But for those that want a um, chance at winning a copy of the game because you don't want to spend the money on the cop of the game or whatever, just just um, follow the rules of the contest and you might just find yourself the proud owner of a copy of Command and Conquer 4. And I think that's pretty much it. If you have any questions, comments, anything regarding the show, stick, feel free to stick them in the comments for the show, which, of course, you can find all the comments, the show notes, and everything at globalgeeknews.com, something I forgot to plug at the beginning of the show. So those of you who want to listen to the show a second time and want to follow along with these show notes, you can find those at globalgeeknews.com. If you want to... If you don't want to leave something in the comments and you still want us to um, want to get in touch with us somehow, you can get in touch with us at Global Geek News on Twitter, at Global Geek News. Um, you can get in touch with me. I am PCNerd37 on Twitter. Wesley is Wesley83 on Twitter. Um, and, of course, you can always email me, PCNerd37 at GlobalGeekNews.com. Don't forget, we do live on your donations. Um... If you'd like, we'd greatly appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the $5 a month donation through PayPal. The link is in the show notes. I believe it is right beneath the um, player for this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show, tell your friends about the show, and like the show on Facebook. I don't like the whole like thing. I'd prefer you to be a fan of the show, but I guess since I'm not a decision maker at Facebook, that's just kind of the way things have to be which I'll be ranting on that in the blog post tomorrow. But anyway, until next week, I guess that's all I have, unless there's anything you want to bring up. Nope, that's all. Alrighty, so we will see you guys next week. Have a great week. Later.